It's a great hymn. Some of those words, they start to, to sink in as Paul was going over them, and you just trace them through your mind. They have just great, great effect for us. A number of years ago, when Diane and I would just got married, went on a short honeymoon, I got ordained, we moved to Colorado. And we, our first place to live was in Garden Center Apartments, right across from McDonald's in Broomfield, if you go down 287. And we had a very, very small furnished apartment. I think we were there for about eight or nine months, and things started happening. God provided a building for our church and provided a home for us to live in. And it had a yard, it had this big yard. And so the very first thing I told Diane I wanted to do was get a dog. And she was okay with that. She, she wanted that too, and she was good with me getting horses later on, but the chickens had to go. <laughs> so I got this dog, a German Shepherd. I had, we had had dogs growing up, German Shepherds. We had trained them and and I just lo- I had a pickup truck. So, I mean, I'm a dog in a pickup truck. And big backyard. And I named him Kaiser, and, uh, which means king in German. And had him as a little puppy, a purebred German. Probably paid too much for this purebred German shepherd. But loved the dog. And started working with him, training him. And as he got older, I'd uh, put him into uh, the courses over with the Arvada Police Department. One of our friends was... Uh, had a canine, was on the canine unit, and so we would go over to the obstacle course and run our dogs through that, I'd take him to softball practice, and, and uh, he'd shag all the balls that we'd hit out in the field. I took him up to the Blue River, um, up in the mountains, and go and fishing, you know, put him in the back of the pickup truck to drive up there and, uh, and fish, and so it just became a, a companion, just, and, and those of you that uh, have dogs or that sort of thing, you identify maybe a little bit. Well, about four years later, we started having kids, and they, they were very attached to the dog, and he got sick and started coughing and, and losing strength, losing weight. I took him into the vet, the vet that I had taken to him for quite some time, and he said, I think he's got some kind of infection. I need to take his spleen out. And so the doctor um, did surgery on the dog. I mean, normally you think, I'm not going to do that for a dog, but... That's my dog, and so he does a surgery. Dog's not getting better, not getting better. I take him to another vet, and he said, oh, no, he's got a piece of grass that got lodged into his lungs and built up a big infection the size of my fist, and he said, you know, I don't know that I can save him. It's going to be really major surgery, and and I remember just that, that decision, not ready for that decision, and thinking, well, I want you, he, he recommended putting the dog to sleep. And so that, at the moment, I, I said, well, I, I don't want him to suffer. And so go ahead. He said, you're sure? I said, I'm sure. And, and so I'm sitting there holding my dog, and he injects him and uh, goes to sleep. And I'm thinking, I just can't believe this just happened. And I just, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm not a really emotional type person. But it's just getting to me. I'm going home telling Diane she's crying. So then I, and I, and I thought the, the vet that treated him first misdiagnosed him. And he didn't get it. And this doctor said that any doctor should be able to see this. And, and, and uh, so not only am I that, he shouldn't have had to die. Then I get a bill. I get a bill from the first doctor for $800. And, I, and I'm thinking, 
I'm getting a bill for $800 for him killing my dog. And, and um, so I called him, and I said, you know, that wasn't the problem with the dog. You misdiagnosed it, and, and I'll pay some, but I'm not paying $800. And he said, I'll see you in court, click. And I just, I just got angry. I was just, just angry. And so I talked to a lawyer friend. And he said, well, you just need to kind of write out in detail what happened. And uh, then you're going to go into, go to small claims court, whatever. And so I started, I took a yellow pad. I can remember this so clearly. I took a yellow pad and I just started writing down every single detail about what happened. And the more I wrote, the more angry I became. And I, I'd get up in the middle of the night. I'd wake up at 2 o'clock and I'd be thinking about this. In fact, what happened is I would go through yellow pad after yellow pad, rewriting, rearticulating, re- remembering other things, going over this again in my mind, what I'm going to say in court, what I'm going to say to him, what I'm going to say to the judge, and going over and over and over this again. It began to dominate my life. And uh, I, I could say I had a hard time concentrating. I, I had a hard time studying for, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm preaching on Sunday, and, and I've got all this resentment, I'm upset, I'm, I'm angry about what's happened to me. And it kept on going for a series, and Diane started to know, she said, you know, I'm just, I'm just tense, I'm wired, I'm edgy, it began changing my um, whole personality, and that's what you see today is what I am. <laughs> now... I realize this, that that hurt here is a very small thing compared to what a lot of you go through. And I'm not even trying to compare this with what people go through. That's a dog. It's a dog. And it was $800. And I, but I realized what it was doing to me. I had done nothing wrong. I had done nothing wrong. And yet, it was systematically destroying my life. I'm speaking to a congregation, and I know this is true, not because, because of specific things here, but, but in my number of years in ministry, I talked to people over and over, again, who were physically abused by a father, verbally abused by a mother, sexually abused by a family friend, Lied to and deceived by your best friend. Betrayed by your spouse. Probably nothing more painful than going through something like that. Or you were deceived by a trusted spiritual leader. You were falsely accused by a co-worker. You were swindled out of your life savings by your business partner. You were slandered by a trusted confidant. You were cut off from your grandchildren or your kids won't speak to you anymore. There's a lot of hurt in this world. And this morning, what I would like to do is examine a passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4 and the first part of of chapter 5. The theme of this message is love is stronger than your hurt. And I know this, that In this audience, every single person gets hurt. 
And it can be something that God uses to build your life up or Satan uses to absolutely destroy you. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. I'd like to I'll begin reading with verse 31. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This morning what I'd like to do is just take this passage of Scripture and make four observations. And, I, and my prayer has been that this would be a help to you. This has been a help to me just working through understanding how hurt can destroy your life. The first observation is this. Love is the life we're called to. This is, this is what is normal Christianity, is a life of love. This is what is described by Jesus should distinguish us from the rest of the world. This is what men should do with their wives, wives do with their husbands, we do with our children, what we do with one another. This is what we should do with our enemies. This is what we do with our neighbors. This is the way of life, love. So love is the life that we're called to, and he, he mentions these characteristics when, he, when you go back to verse uh, 32. These are good good verse to memorize. He says, it's kind, it's tenderhearted, and it's forgiving one another. This is what love looks like. Let me just make a comment about each of these descriptions of these three. First of all, kind means that If I live a life of love, if I walk in love, as he's challenged me to do, my life is good, it's gracious, and here's another word that I hadn't seen before, it's easy. It's easy. Good, gracious, and easy. In other words, you're at ease. You're not stressed, you're not harsh, you're not mean, you're kind. Love is kind. Tenderhearted is the second word. And tender-hearted means compassionate, sympathetic, empathetic, caring, sensitive. And then forgiving one another. And he mentions this even as God has forgiven us. What's interesting, I, I think, too, about this is forgiving one another is not, not just giving. I, and we talked this, this last week about this, that love is giving. God gave. Jesus gave. And sometimes we can be really caught up and give, 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 and give, but we haven't learned to forgive. And if, if you can't forgive something, and if it's as small as a dog, it can destroy your life. It can destroy your life. So remember, this is exactly what Christ did for us. So whenever we we see this command to love one another, what he's saying is, I want you to do exactly what I've done for you. If you look at this word in in chapter 5, it says, therefore, be imitators. The Greek word is mimetes, which is, we get mimic, to mimic this. Mimic, follow the example of God, because this is the way of God. God is love. Christ is love. 
And there are two parts of that love expressed to us. He gave and he forgave. I think the giving is easier for us because we can give everything we've got and still hold on to one little thing that we don't forgive. So love is the life we're called to. Second, bitterness is the pit we can fall into if we're not careful. In Ephesians 4.31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now here, there are six words. There are three to describe love. There are six words to describe this bitterness. Bitterness is something, and, and I think that there's kind of a visual picture. You put something in your mouth that's really bad and you want to spit it out. Bitter. It's just the opposite of putting that sweet donut in your mouth. It's something that's just, that's nasty. <clears throat> Bitterness. It goes down into your stomach and it, it sours. <clears throat> so this is what happens when, when a hurt festers and we don't forgive, we can become, it become bitter for us. And then what, where does bitterness take us? And this is just a, to me, you have hurt Something hurt me, and I can be completely innocent. But it eats at me, eats at me, eats at me. Get a little resentful. Bothers me. Go over it. Take out my yellow pad. Write it over again and again and again and again. And that turns to bitterness. Bitterness turns to the the next word, wrath or indignation. Something that fires you up inside. It's boiling inside. You ever see someone that you bring up a subject or a name of a person and all of a sudden their face just starts getting red? Wrath. The word anger, literally fierce anger. Clamor. Clamor means shouting, screaming, yelling. So now we've gone from inside you're troubled to your face is really red. It's boiling up to now shouting, screaming, yelling. The word slander, abusive language to the hurt and damage of people. And then the last word, malice, wicked acts, wicked, vile behavior. So I want you to see the, see what happens. Perfectly innocent person. I didn't do a thing wrong. Okay? They killed my dog. Okay? Now it's eating at me. I'm getting resentful. Anger. Wrath stirring up, making me angry. All of a sudden, it comes out of my mouth. Harsh, mean words. And then, wicked acts. And I think you see, you cannot keep it in. You cannot hold on to it and no one else know. I think we try to, but it doesn't happen. People see it in your face. Have you ever seen a person who's really bitter, what their face looks like? You can feel it in the tone of their voice. You can hear it in the words that they spout out. So to begin, when we're looking at this text, there's an incredible contrast. The, love, the life of love that we're called to walk in contrast with bitterness that we can fall into if we're not careful. And Christ is the example. Christ was hurt. Would you agree with that? Christ was hurt. He didn't get bitter. He gave and he forgave. Did they deserve it? No. 
No one deserved his forgiveness. But he did that. But when we don't forgive, this is what can happen. So my next observation is this. Hurt is the stone we trip over. Hurt is the stone we trip over. It can be, it can be like a... You've heard the, the um, expression, a stepping stone. You know, like you're trying to get up into a, a building and there's a stone you step on to get into. It can be a stepping stone in your life. Your hurt can be what God's doing to build up your life, to make you mature, to make you strong. And it can also be used to advance his kingdom in someone else's life. Now, a lot of us, we just don't see. All we see is the hurt. I can tell you the last thing I was thinking about was my veterinarian's soul. Are you following me? The last thing I was thinking about is what God was needing to do in Matt Olson's life. All I could think about was the injustice. It's not right. And I was missing the entire point. It, this could be a stepping stone to show the love of God, the love of Christ to my veterinarian. It could have been. But for me, it was something I was tripping over. And you don't, you don't need a big rock to trip on. You don't. It can be a little thing. And you can do a face plant. And I'm finding this, that over a dog, over $800, I was doing a face plant. And if you don't think that won't affect my wife and my children and the people that I was pastoring, you know what I'm saying. What if the man preaching is bitter? We've got a problem. I think we need to recognize that in this whole text, there's a, there's a spiritual warfare going on. Those of you ladies that are in our, uh, the spiritual armor Bible study are right in tune with this concept. There is a spiritual warfare going on. There is a spiritual warfare going on. Satan wants to take you out. He wants to destroy your life. And he doesn't play fair. <clears throat> now, I see two ways he does that. Satan wants, he wants to destroy all of you. All of you. He wants to destroy me. So the first way he's going to do is he can try to tempt me to sin. Cause me to sin. And he can bring all kinds of temptation. And here's the thing, the way this works. If I get tempted, and we all know we do yield from time to time, right? And we call that sin. What do you feel inside as soon as you sin? Guilt. Don't you? You feel guilt. That's a good thing. That means the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, and as a Christian, when you sin, you feel guilty, and what do we do right after that? Or we should do right after that? Confess that sin to God. Lord, I'm sorry. I was not right. But, but here's the problem. And then you, your fellowship is restored with God. So I'm tempted, I sin, I confess it, God restores me. Now there's another way Satan tries to destroy you. This is much more subtle 
He wants someone to sin against you. Or you perceive that they sin against you. Because when someone sins against me, I don't feel guilty. I'm just ticked. Okay? So I don't, I don't feel guilty and I don't confess it. So what was happening to me was I'm, I'm upset, I'm angry, I want justice, I want righteousness. And I'm starting and I'm, and I'm sinning now and I don't even see it. I don't see it. I'm blind to it. And so you don't find a person working through that by confessing, asking God's forgiveness. And so they're in trouble. I've jotted down, and I know there are probably more, I'll go through these quickly, ten unique characteristics about a hurt. First, you didn't do anything wrong. You feel a sense of victimization, justification, self-righteousness. So not only do you feel completely innocent, Remember when I was reading that list of things that happened to you, can happen to you, with people? You, you didn't do anything wrong. Someone did something to you. Secondly, the offense may be real or perceived. It doesn't matter if it's real or perceived. You're hurt. You're upset. In other words, someone could intentionally hurt me, or someone could, could not even know they hurt me. But I'm still mad (laughs) because I I believe they did. I know why you did that. Third, you tend to interpret all other events from a bitter disposition. Once I'm mad, everything you do, see, 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 I told you. I may not say that verbally, but, but it, yep, 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 and it confirms it, it confirms it, and so it just keeps building. Number four, you don't think you have a problem. You have a problem. (laughs) Five, you remember details and go them over and over in your mind. You know, you've heard the expression before, forgive and forget. See, I can forgive, but I can't forget. And that's, that's somewhat true, but what I find is this. When you forgive someone, you soon forget. You, it, you don't remember details. But when you, you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and go over it again in your mind, what they did to you, and the details, what it does, it, it begins to... to just make a rut in your mind. And pretty soon, that's where you always go. Every day, that's where you go back to that rut, back to that rut. I'm thinking that way again. I'm making another, I'm just making it deeper and deeper and deeper. Number number five, number six, it is not the size of the injustice, but how close it is to you. Let me say that again. It's not the size of the injustice, but it's how close it is to you. You know, Hitler and what he did in World War II, six, slaughtered six million Jews. Stalin, 50 million. Mao Zedong, I think it was 100 million Chinese that he slew. That doesn't make me bitter. It makes me, I'm saying, you know, it's bad, but it doesn't make me bitter because it's not close to me. But things that are close to me, like a spouse, a son, a daughter, a best friend, a pastor. And when there's a hurt there, that's close to me. That's what Satan uses. I've often 
thought, you know, it's, you know, Satan does it this way. He's so crafty because he, he goes at the most critical relationships. He goes at your marriage. He goes at your kids. He goes at the people you love the most. He does. And he, and he does it this way. Not you sin, but, the, but they sin. Because you don't see it coming. Number seven, it can, it can become a way of life for you and eventually something that defines your life. As I shared a little earlier, it, you see, I just even though it's a, a dog and it's a small amount of money, it, it begins taking over my thoughts. It begins taking over my life, and it would soon it would soon define my life if I let it. Number eight, even if the person apologizes, you are not free because you are not now unable to forgive. You say, well, what if they finally come and apologize? You don't really want them to apologize because you you. Become where you enjoy this life. And then the last two, uh, it will destroy you from the inside out, and it will destroy everyone close to you. If you read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, don't let a root of bitterness, a root of bitterness spring up. And he says, it springs up and therefore defiles many. Because if I'm, if I'm first I'm innocent, then I grow bitter, and then the bitterness is pouring out, it, it destroys my life, and it defiles everyone else around me. And then finally, all bitterness ends with being bitter with God. Now, that's a pretty strong statement, but I've seen that true. When people do not resolve bitterness, eventually they're mad at God because how could God let this happen? How could, how could he, he do that? How, because, and you say, if he's sovereign over all things, and I'm angry with God. I have found almost in every situation when I've worked with someone who's an atheist or agnostic, there is some hurt that they have with God. So love is stronger than hurt. My last observation is this, that The love of Christ is the hand that pulls us up out of the pit of hurt and bitterness. And his love is stronger than our hurt. You know, it says in here, put away all bitterness, get rid of it. Well, how do I do that? How do I get rid of it? Because no doubt everyone here has been hurt. So you say, I get over it all the time. I always get over it. If you were to ask me in the middle of this whole thing that I was with my dog, I would have told you, if you said, are you bitter? I'm not bitter. I'm just doing the right thing here. <laughs> it's righteous indignation. <clears throat> How do we work through this? And I, w- I want to just give, I don't really like giving steps because I think it's, it's more, it's, this is all built out of relationship. But there are four ideas I want you to, to get. How do, if, I, if I, I feel like I'm getting bitter, I've been hurt, relationship, I've got to work out of this. These are four steps. First, acknowledge what Christ has done for you. Christ is the answer. And this is where every text in the Bible is going to eventually lead you, is to Jesus Christ. He is the solution. You know, when I read in First Peter, I know our men are doing a study in, I think, First and Second Peter. But Peter says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered Christ also suffered for you, 
leaving an example that you follow his steps. He committed no sin. Think of this, Jesus, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest, and that's Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So let me just point this out, that Jesus is your answer. One, he has shown you what real love is. If there is anyone who suffered for more than anyone else in the world, it was Jesus. Because when he took upon himself all of the sins of the world, he became sin for us. So let's, let's for, just for example, take your top three worst hurts you've ever been through in your life. Put them all together and put them on Jesus. Put them on Jesus. He's innocent. He's perfect. He never sinned. And it says he, he, he took them on himself and he did not open his mouth. He didn't complain. He didn't argue. He didn't say that's not fair like we do. It's not right. No, he committed himself to his Father. He took upon the sin. So he has done this. Your situation times a thousand and a thousand thousand. He's done this. And also, he says, he will help you. He will help you through this. He has gone through it. He understands it. He knows it. And he will help you. That's why he said, we find grace to help in time of need. Jesus Christ is the answer. And when you stop to contemplate, as Paul was saying earlier, contemplate the love of God. It settles your life. You contemplate how He expressed that through His Son, loving you the way He loved you. Think about this. As He is going to the cross, He's on the cross, He's denied by Peter. He's doubted by Thomas. He's betrayed by Judas. He's abandoned by His disciples. He was crucified by the world. No one suffered like that. And what were the words out of His mouth on the cross? Father, forgive them. Oh, if, if it were me, I'd be calling for lightning bolts. That's the way we are. Zap them, destroy them, open up the earth, swallow them up. <clears throat> Justice. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Now, when you forgive your best friend, your husband, your ex-husband, ex-wife, your kids, your former business partner, when you forgive them, that doesn't mean that the relationship is immediately reconciled. Because they do have to apologize and they do have to repent for you to have the relationship reconciled. 
And when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, it didn't mean that everybody in the world got saved then. But he did his part. And you do your part. And when you do your part, it frees you. It frees you. And it frees them to come to you. And it pleases God because you're being like Him. You're being like Jesus. You're showing the world that love is stronger than hurt. So look to Jesus. That's the first. The second, confess your sin. That's pretty simple. Lord, I didn't see it. That's wrong. I know I shouldn't be bitter. But you can't really do the second unless you do the first. Unless you look to Jesus, you cannot do the second. You confess your sin. And you don't need to do it a hundred times. You do it once. You don't need to just keep going over and over, Lord, I feel so bad. Do it once. He understands. Third, give thanks to God. Say, how can I give thanks? Well, when you start to see Christ, you give thanks to God because you know that He has loved you in such a way. So you give give thanks to God for loving you. You give thanks to Christ for loving you. You give thanks to God for putting this hurt in your life. That's hard to do, but when you realize this is not meant to be a a stone to stumble into the pit of bitterness, it is meant as a stepping stone to be like Christ. And it gives me an occasion, it gives me an opportunity to show something miraculous, something supernatural, something very uncommon. How can you love a child abuser? How can you love a rapist? How can you love an Adolf Hitler? Because Christ loved us that same way. So, We have this impossible expression that comes from God. And so we give thanks that He's going to use this and His redemptive plan, building my life, advancing His kingdom, winning someone to Christ. But if we're still bitter, it's like Jonah. You know when God went to save Nineveh? Jonah was mad. Jonah wanted them torched. He wasn't thankful. That's because his view was not on the Lord. So right view of God, seeing Christ as he is revealed to us, confessing your bitterness, giving thanks to God, and fourth, simply continue to walk in love. This is the challenge that he gives in chapter 5, and walk in love. You're not going to do it perfectly. No, you're going to have things that sting you along the way. They're biting, they're hurtful, they're painful. You don't see it coming, so you're working through. So these four steps that I've talked about are not something you just go through one day and then you're set for life. It's something you're always going through. Get my my eyes back on Christ, what He has done for me, confessing my sin, thanking Him for what He's brought in my life, and continuing to walk in love. Every day, and His Word guides me, His Spirit helps me, and He's there. And what happens is this church, these members, these people here, Show Christ in a way that the world has never seen. So I know you're wanting to know what happened to my dog. I think I'll see him in heaven. People always ask me, are dogs in heaven? I say, well, I don't see a verse where it says they aren't, but God may redeem all all things. Um. I'll tell you what happened to me. I started realizing what God was doing. My, my life was being destroyed, not by the vet. That's going to happen in life. 
My life was being destroyed by me. And it was affecting my family. It was affecting my ability to spend time with God in the morning. And it was affecting my ability to prepare to preach God's word on Sunday. So what I did is I did what I shared with you. I was really humbled and broken by realizing how Christ had loved me. I confessed my sin. I forgave the veterinarian. I tore up all my notes that I had chronicled. And I paid him the money. You say, oh, you know what? That's the best check I ever wrote. By that time, he'd, he'd offered to settle for about 500 or something. I don't know what it was. Best check I ever wrote. Now, he was wrong, you know, but it was killing me. And I resolved at the end to love him and pray for him. And I started praying for them. I started thinking, how does God see this veterinarian? How does God see him? He loves him. So I started to pray for him that God would work in his life. And I was free. Now, I wish I could say that all through the rest of my life, I've not struggled with bitterness. But you know what? Every time you get hurt, that's, that's every time something stings you, Satan's trying to get at you. Remember this, that I told a dog story today, but that the same process works in the bigger things in life and in the smaller things in life. But God is bigger than all of it. And so here's my takeaway for our message today. Love is stronger than your hurt. You have been hurt. God wants to use it for good. Satan wants to destroy you. You remember that love is stronger than your hurt. We have these little wristbands out in the back if you want to pick one up. I said, it says, love is stronger. And I thought it's a good reminder to me when I'm, I got a face of me. But it's a good conversation piece because here's what I want to see. It. If, you know, you don't, may want to wear, wear one, but I thought if someone asks you, what is that all about? Then you can tell your story. People, people like listening to a story. You don't need to preach to them, pull out your Bible and start preaching a sermon. You can tell a story of God's goodness and love to you. How love is proven to be stronger than whatever. Your fear, your circumstances, your hurt. We can tell that story. It's the greatest story ever told. Father, thank you for your word. It is so rich and helpful. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for your love that you've modeled for us and you have expressed to us and you help us with living it out.